Game seven, eight seconds left, home team down by one. Oh, the home team strips the ball and the point guard is all alone. But it appears that there's a wet spot on the free throw line. The fans go silent. Their championship aspirations flash before their eyes. Wait, someone's running out on the court. Oh my, it's the towel boy. How did he clean it so fast? The point guard takes off and dunks the ball. Game over, the crowd erupts. Towel boy, towel boy. Hello everybody and thank you for that beautiful standing ovation. Welcome to another episode of the Towel Boys NBA podcast. We are joined here today with Landon as always and Eric who is a new member of the Towel Boys podcast who will be we will slowly be pushing into the fold and getting him more and more involved. Eric the floor is yours to introduce yourself. What is up guys it is quite the honor to be here. My name is Eric Mincer. I love basketball and I love listening to the Towel Boys so I'm excited to be part of this journey. And awesome. how are you involved with basketball in your personal life? We know you were a co-author of a book, we believe, and you um, write some articles for Triple Play Fantasy. So can you kind of give us a quick breakdown of, of what you do? Right. So I write for Triple Play Fantasy, like you said. I'm very big into the NBA, the history of it. So my father and I actually co-wrote a book called the NBA story and it's it's really the history of the business side of how basketball started and it was very localized and there's the BBA BAA and the NBL and they merged like all that history it's really cool uh so I'm a big basketball nerd kind of like it sounds like uh you and your listeners are as well certainly are <laughs> yeah that that's awesome guys check that book out I'm sure it's amazing I'll have to do so as well but in this podcast today Landon will be giving you guys and us his top 50 rankings of NBA players going into next season. And Eric and I will be commenting on those rankings, telling Landon where we disagree, why we think he's wrong. And we'll have a little <laughs> bit of discussion that will hopefully stay pretty, you know, relaxed. Who knows, though, because, you know, Landon has a couple of trigger players that, that we completely disagree on. So that'll be funny to hear. That's what yeah. Sure. Let's, so Landon will go probably about, I think, five at a time to, yep. to keep it easy for you guys to keep up with and for us and we'll just go from there so Landon why don't you kick it off okay let's get this rolling so I'm going to start with a few honorable mentions that did not make the top 50 starting with Tobias Harris Jeremy Grant Michael Porter Jr. and Karis LeVert those are a few guys who while really good are not quite at the same level as the top 50 players on this list Especially Michael Porter Jr. has the upside to probably hit top 50 starting next season. But for now, I have him just outside. Any uh, discussion on those four? Um, it's hard to judge, I'd say, without hearing the rest. But I mean, for sure, the Jeremy Grant outside the top 50, that, that's one that kind of sticks out in my mind. Okay, fair. Uh, for me, I'd say Tobias Harris, just after how kind of he... He, I mean, he's never really been the guy on his own team where he's the star, but I think he's in that top 50. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, he. the reason I don't have him in the top 50 is because while a lot of people blame Ben Simmons for the playoff collapse this year, 
I think Tobias Harris has been secretly in the background destroying the 76ers from within every playoff series over the last three years since he's been with the team. <laughs> so That is harsh. He, he's that 51 harsh. for me. Yeah. All right. Let's start off the top 50. This should get interesting. At number 50, after completely being oblivious to how good he was last season, I will not make that same mistake this year. I have Colin Sexton at number 50 after he had a phenomenal season, averaging an extremely efficient 24, I believe, per game. And that's on a really bad team with not many other offensive options. So Colin Sexton's really impressive at number 50. LaMelo Ball comes in at 49, CJ McCollum at 48, Gordon Hayward at 47, and Anthony Edwards at 46. All right. So, I personally think Jeremy Grant is a better basketball player than Gordon Hayward. I know we're, we have differing opinions on Hayward. He's a really good player, but he can't stay healthy anymore. And defensively, give me Grant any day of the week. I'd much rather have him on my team. The other one I'd say is having Anthony Edwards over CJ McCollum. I know Landon, you're probably projecting into next year, Correct. seeing the the improvements of Edwards. But I, I just I'm not comfortable having McCollum below him, given how successful McCollum has been offensively, and given how inefficient Edwards was his first year. Although I'm a huge Anthony Edwards supporter, I think it's a little premature to put him over CJ McCollum. Eric, anything to uh, pick apart here? No, I actually really like this uh, group of five you got starting off here. You have like the two rookies, basically co-rookie of the year, depending on how you viewed it. Right. Anthony Edwards, I think, has a ton of upside. LaMelo has the skills already. Um, I think Hayward is, I, I mean, I feel like a lot of people have him on the downside of his career, like the, the tail end, thinking he's kind of on his way out because of the injuries. But I think he's also on a Hornets team that's going to rely on LaMelo a lot more than Hayward. And I think he can yep. have a pretty good year if he's just relegated to, to being Gordon Hayward. I, I love that point because Gordon was so good last season. He was going to garner a bunch of all-star votes and he ended up getting injured as usual. So I do understand Andy's argument there, but when he is healthy, he is truly a difference maker and can be maybe even a number one on this team with LaMelo still being young and a bunch of very solid role players. They just added Kelly Oubre, who will only make them better. So a lot of athletic wings and Hayward will be at the forefront of what they do next season, assuming his health is, you know, stays positive. I do think the McCollum argument is an interesting one because while CJ has been really good over the last few years, the Blazers have been unable to do anything since they reached the Western Conference Finals against the Warriors and got absolutely rocked. Um, they got absolutely destroyed by the Pelicans that one season, and CJ was unable to step up and help out Dame there. They both had a terrible series. I just haven't seen enough from him to make me confident about his ranking going into next season. Fair enough. Okay, so... Uh, by the way, I just want to break down kind of how I look at these player rankings. So I probably weight overall the regular season and the playoffs about 30%, 70% respectively. I always think about if two players are close, 
who would I rather have on my team going into a playoff series? That is my de facto separator. So when I look at guys like Edwards versus McCollum, I think that next season Edwards can start to push that that bubble of, you know, making a difference in those series. Just wanted to point that out in case anybody didn't understand my logic for some of this. All right. Next group of five. At number 45, DeMontis Sabonis. Number 44, Christian Wood. Number 43, Nikola Vucevic. Number 42, Pascal Siakam. Number 41, a big drop from last year, Rudy Gobert. Eric, why don't you go first on this one? All right. I'm a huge DeMontis Sabonis stan. I think he's one of the most underrated guys in the league. Uh, I understand he's got injury history. I think the Pacers, just being the Pacers, are bland and don't draw a lot of attention to him. Yep. But, like, I think 45 is way too low. Last season, he had, I'm looking at the numbers now, he had 20 points per game, 12 rebounds, six and a half, uh, 6.7 assists, 50% from the floor. I'm in 20 P, uh, player efficiency rating. He just puts up numbers, and I think if we get a full season of him, him healthy with uh, TJ Warren, like the Pacers, sneaky could be a good team next year. Agreed. Andy and I were just talking about the variability with the Indiana Pacers. The reason I have Sabonis low is because a lot of the Pacers' best lineups come with Turner at the five and Sabonis on the bench, and... It's not that I'm saying he puts up empty stats, but with the lack of defense and the inability to you know, create from the perimeter, his need to be down low on the block so frequently clogging the lane, it seems like he, ha- at least on this p- specific Pacers team, he has an issue contributing to winning at a higher level. Yeah, and, and all three bigs that you mentioned, uh, Vooch, Christian Wood and Sabonis are they're really tough to judge because um, they all have very different roles in their teams and all put up monster stats and it, it's sometimes hard to, to kind of look past the box score and, and really feel their impact um, but I, I'd say putting it into perspective if I needed one of these three bigs on my team going forward I would probably take Christian Wood because I think he's the most versatile and I could do the most with him uh, defensively I think he's the most mobile and I just trust his development more. I think he has more upside still. But overall, I'd say this is probably the general range of these three. They may they may deserve to be bumped up a few spots. We'll see how the rest of your, your rankings go. But the the bigger problem I have with your with this set of five, as I'm sure you can guess, is Pascal Siakam. I think he's too <laughs> low, as always, from you. There's probably some guys above him that I think you're absolutely disrespecting Siakam with. He's still a really good player, a great defender, 20 points a game scorer, good rebounder, pretty decent playmaker. He can do a lot. And just because he can't shoot and he struggled a couple times in the playoffs, creating his own shot does not mean he deserves to be outside the top 40, given his abilities as an overall player. So it's more than that for me. It's it's another point that I'll make as I go through these is that I think about should they be a first, second, or third option on a championship or a good playoff team. To me, Siakam should be a third option, and there are a lot of third options I would choose before I would choose Siakam. Did they win a title? They did. The Raptors, I mean, with Siakam. 
But that was with Kawhi Leonard playing one of the better, you know, playoff runs we've ever seen. I think that the issue with Siakam is more beyond the not being able to shoot. It's the not being able to create his own drives successfully. I remember in that Boston Celtics series from a couple years ago, every time he would go in and do his patented spin move, he would get stood up or the ball stripped from him. And that's not somebody that I want to trust in a playoff series going forward. All right, we'll see. Let's see these next five. Well, okay. I need the Gobert discussion right now. Sorry. Oh, boy. I wa- see, what do you think about Gobert at number 41? I don't, I don't necessarily disagree with it. Again, I think it's relative to, to who you have above him. But, but yeah, we, we saw even in the Olympics – uh, the the U.S. national team kind of picking apart Gobert going ISO. There's there is the elephant in the room has been exposed. We all know and see Rudy Gobert's big weakness, and that's guarding guys when you switch him onto smaller guards, and it's really hurt him. And the lack of a offensive game, it's really just being a guy you could feed the ball into who can lay the ball up, pretty much just dunks. I I don't even think he has a hook shot. Like it's he's limited and. Gobert's an all-star. He's a great player. He's going to go down as one of the best defensive bigs ever. But yeah, I I don't know how many players I'd put him over that you're going to name. Eric, how do you feel about Gobert after this season? I agree with what Andy just said, honestly. I think Gobert uh, is is a flat-footed big guy who can block shots when they're in front of him and get rebounds. But offensively, he's very limited. Uh, he kind of works well with Donovan Mitchell and, and Mike Conley in the pick and rolls that they run just because it's like a simple enough thing for him. I think he gets a lot of unnecessarily, uh, I don't know. I don't know if it's unnecessarily warranted praise on defense, but I- I've watched him play, like you guys were saying, in, in the Olympics. He just didn't look like this defender of like Ben Wallace or like prime Dwight where you're just like, this guy's locking down on defense you know it just doesn't seem maybe it's because i don't watch the jazz on a nightly basis so i miss it i just i don't know he doesn't pass the eyeball test you know yeah i i think what we're all starting to see is that when things get really tight and their teams specifically go at him to get that switch it makes it so tough on him that the jazz had to just trade for rudy gay and eric pascal as basically gobert insurance in case they need to go small on a playoff series and he can't stay on the floor that's a large reason why i dropped him so far this season is because the jazz should have beat the Kawhi list clippers this these playoffs and they didn't and a lot of that is attributed to rudy okay next group of five number 40 draymond green who made a huge impression on me in these Olympics and actually boosted his spot a good amount because I forgot just how much he can contribute to winning. Number 39, DeMar DeRozan. Number 38, Ben Simmons. Number 37, Shea Gilgis-Alexander. Number 36, De'Aaron Fox. Oh, boy. This, This may be the worst five of the whole list. Let's hear it. We'll see. I have a lot of problems with this one. So, Pascal Siakam, as I just mentioned, I would take him easily over Draymond Green. I would take him over DeMar DeRozan. 
And at this point, I would take him over Ben Simmons. I think Draymond, of course, does a lot for winning. I've been a huge Draymond stan, as you know. The, the past biggest. Eight years. I love the guy. But offensively, he is worthless right now. He is even worse than he was in the Prime Warriors teams. And are we going to say offensively or just scoring? Because he really helps your offense run. He does. He does. I'm saying from a scoring perspective, he's still a really good passer, a great defender. His IQ is off the charts. But at this point, I'm taking Pascal Siakam over Draymond because of the scoring, the versatility. I don't think there's that big of a drop off defensively. I think Draymond's a phenomenal defender. I think Siakam's a really good defender. And with 20 points a game and always the threat to drive on you, I'm taking Siakam. Similar to DeRozan, I mean, DeRozan's a better ISO scorer than Pascal Siakam without a doubt, but but he can't shoot threes. So it's, do you want a mid-range two guy who can't really play defense or an all-around threat? And I'm taking Siakam easily. And Simmons, I, I with how bad he's been, I, I'd have to knock him outside the top 40. Simmons is a multi-time all-star, first of all. I'm not going to just go out and base my rankings off of, you know, him not shooting or not dunking a ball one time when people thought he should have. I'm not going to base it on him having five bad games at a time when all eyes were on him. He is a really good basketball player and should not be docked a ton while he still should be, you know, he was in my top 30 last season and he deserves to be dropped, he's still really good and just needs to find a better team to fit with, in my opinion. So let me, Dre- let me jump in. Yeah, go ahead. Let me jump in one more time. I'm not yeah. I'm not knocking Simmons because of the playoffs. I'm knocking him because he had statistically his worst season so far. That's fair. Yeah, And sure, it's not close. Sure. Yeah. Um, and then the Draymond-Siakam argument. I think the biggest difference here is the IQ. And that's what puts Draymond above Siakam for me. For instance, again, going back to that Celtics series, I believe it was Kemba who snuck around Siakam while he was ball watching and had a backdoor cut to go ahead by two at the end of one of those games. And what ended up being a seven game series and every possession mattered. That doesn't happen to Draymond. Draymond is the floor general on defense. He knows what's happening all over the court at all times. He can instruct people where to be. In the Olympics, we just saw him get on Kevin Durant for not contesting a three-pointer. Just because. Because he's Draymond. And he can say and do whatever he wants because everybody knows he's a leader. And you are not getting anything close to that kind of IQ with Siakam. That's the reason I have Draymond above him. Fair enough. If I could chime in, I would just like Please to do. say that I, I I agree with Draymond Green over Siakam. Uh, Andy, I hate to do this to you, but I, I think Siakam at, outside the top 40 is where he belongs. Yes. I agree with Landon. I agree with Landon that Draymond's a better player. Uh, the only, For me, the only two that really stand out in this group is Ben Simmons. But like you said, we don't know necessarily where he's going to be next year. We don't know if he's going to be more of a point guard, more of a small forward, power forward, we don't, you know, it, there's a lot of question marks there. So Simmons, right fit. I think he's a top 20 player. I think if Simmons stays with Philly, and clearly, like you guys said last episode, Philly has just sabotaged his trade value, made him <laughs> as unhappy as a, a person he could be on a team that just had a great season. So I, it, he's on a sliding scale for me. And... 
the other player that I would have higher is uh, De'Aaron Fox. De'Aaron Fox, I think, is one of those guys that if he wasn't on the Sacramento Kings, we'd be talking about him like crazy. Last year, he had 25 points, seven assists a game. He's averaged a steal and a half a game for the last three years, so he gets it done on both sides of the ball. And, I mean, look at the team he's been on. It's just a terrible Kings team over these last few years, and he's averaging pretty consistently seven assists a game. He can facilitate and play defense. He can score. He's, like, the fastest person I've ever seen in human form. (laughs) Like, I saw him live at, at like, a showcase thing once, and it was just, like, like... Watching that speed in person is just different. Yeah, no, I, I love that take. He is very forgotten about playing in Sacramento, but he offers a lot in terms of offense. And like you said, he's not a bad defender. He's quick. He can stay in front of guys. He's a special player. And if you pair him with the right all-star, you might be looking at a perennial playoff team. How about uh, De'Aaron, uh DeAndre Wow, uh, I'm getting lost here. De'Aaron Fox, I was looking at DeAndre Ayton for a minute, but De'Aaron Fox for Ben Simmons swap. Yeah, no, those those are probably always gotta, interesting. Those are probably always gotta work some picks in there, but I mean, I don't know. I would love to see De'Aaron Fox with Joel Embiid on a relevant team. I think it would be phenomenal basketball. I agree. And so he, I yeah. yeah, I I think De'Aaron Fox is is a really good player. Also, I I've this has been probably ongoing for about two years now, um, really more so in the past year, but I've had a really tough time trying to figure out who's higher, De'Aaron Fox or Shade Gilgis-Alexander on my list. They're both different players. Fox is this super speed Westbrook pace and, and finishing and athleticism-like right. guy. And Eric, like you said, 25 and 7. And Shea is more of a, a scorer, but a really efficient scorer at such a young age. I think he has so much upside. and both these guys could be higher next year if they take the next step. But as of now, in the mid-30s, even though it seems low, it's probably where I think they should be. Okay, cool. So Sounds good. Tucky boys. Exactly. All right, on to the next five. Number 35, DeAndre Ayton, coming off a spectacular playoff run. 34, Jamal Murray. 33, Julius Randle. 32, Brandon Ingram. 31 Clay Thompson. I'm going to, before you guys go, interjecting with the Clay factor is the hardest thing to figure out on this whole list. It is. Was, it, was that it? Or are you going to? No, that, that's it. I just, <laughs> I, he was, if anybody that's disagrees with that ranking, that that's just a shot in the dark. I have, nobody knows what he's going to be. A gentle disclaimer. Yes. Exactly. But, but it's accurate because, yeah, it's a very difficult. I mean, it's difficult to assess coming off one injured season injured injury, let alone back to back. Like, yep. Yeah, no one knows. Andy, right. any commentary on the five? I, I think it's a pretty good five, unlike the last five. Um, I'd up. say, I'd say, um, if anything, it, it's hard to kind of judge a center like Aiton and, and compare him to Deer and Fox and Shea. Um, but if, I, if I'm starting a team, I'd, of course, rather have Fox and Shea. But if I already have a pretty decent team and, and have a hole I need to fill, and it's rebounding, of course, I would take Aiton. So I'd probably knock Aiton down two spots below those guys just because those guys can lead an offense and, and be so successful in sure. multiple facets of their game. 
Um, other than that, um, Jamal Murray, Julius Randle, Brandon Ingram, I think they're all relatively in the same tier. I think you did a good job separating those guys. I'd probably flip Randle with Ingram based on last year, but I don't Ooh. really trust wow. Randle as much. So that's more of a last year assessment than projecting forward. Um, but I, I like Clay at 31. I think he has room to go up on this list, and he certainly has room to go down. So I think it's a fair starting point. Okay. Uh, Eric, anything else to add to this five? Um, as a diehard Knicks fan, I got to say, Julius Randle should be in the top three. But <laughs> other than that, um, no, I'm just kidding, obviously. But Jamal Murray's almost in a, in a similar boat to Clay. Obviously, Clay had two seasons lost, but Jamal Murray, with his injury, is going to be a little bit harder to judge coming back as well. Yeah, I think I think with Jamal, you have to look at the regular seasons over the past few years and the playoffs, but the point is like he averages 19 in some seasons and, you know, six assists, five assists or whatever, and then he had that one bubble run where he looked like a Donovan Mitchell Devin Booker level player. And I think you have to think about both of those when you're ranking him. <clears throat> so when I compare him to Shea and Fox, he has done something that they haven't, which is go absolutely ballistic in a playoff series. And that's why he goes above them. But he hasn't shown it consistently enough to be above guys like Brandon Ingram and Julius Randle, who are, you know, really, really efficient scorers all of the time. Yeah, definitely. All right. Next five, number 30, Jalen Brown. Number 29, Russell Westbrook. Number 28, Ja Morant. Number 27, Zach Levine. Number 26, Drew Holiday. Laker fans are going to be coming right in your mentions for this. <laughs> I'm ready. I'm ready. Westbrook, Davis, LeBron, one, two, three. <laughs> the Westbrook best three ever. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I, I again I, I like this five letter. I think that Jalen Brown's in the right spot. Um he's kinda in between that pushing superstar status and, and just a really good all star with upside. And that's kind of where you have him. Right. Westbrook's a really hard guy to judge, especially next year on the Lakers. His stats are going to dip a little bit, but he'll probably be more efficient, hopefully, for Lakers fans. Yeah. Otherwise they are in trouble. Yeah. Um but yeah, I, I, I think at this point I'd Probably take Jaw over Westbrook, even though Westbrook's stats are going to look shinier Agreed. if he's on his own team. But I think Jaw does more for winning at this point, um, or at least winning more than 30, 40 games. Because right. Westbrook is a great floor raiser, but that's, that's pretty sure. much that. And Zach Levine, Drew Holiday, that's a tough debate. We just saw Drew Holiday play the best basketball of his career in the Olympics and, and winning a championship. He, he was so helpful to the I Fox don't even team. think that was the best basketball of his career. I'm always oh, going to point to that Pelicans Blazers series. I don't know something about the the intensity defensively and just in the big moments, kind of being there. But I, I think, I think I'd have Levine over Drew, but I think it's really close. Interesting. Okay, Eric, what do you think on Drew Levine? I'd say based on, I mean, recency bias and the resume, I'd go Drew. But Zach Levine is in a great spot for a breakout year where we all know him as an all-star, as a tremendous dunker and a three-point shooter, but I think having Lonzo Ball, who's a great passer, DeMar DeRozan, who gives him a legitimate extra option, and Nikola Vukovic, who's you know a, 
I think he was an all-star at one point center. He's, he's so, a multi-time all-star. Oh, wow. That just shows how the magic are relevant <laughs> as shit. But for me, the Bulls being relevant is going to have Zach Levine elevate his game and playing more meaningful basketball. So I think right now I'm on Team Holiday, but next year it could be Levine. Okay. That, that's a, let me jump in again. Yeah, yeah that's, a, that's a great point. Because you look at guys like a cat, Brandon Ingram, Zach Levine's a perfect example. These guys, the stats are there. The production's there. They just don't get the recognition because they aren't on winning basketball teams. So Zach Levine does not need to improve anymore. His team needs to improve. And once the Bulls are in the playoffs and winning games and he's still putting up these numbers, they're going to mean so much more and he will rise on these rankings. And Eric, how, what do you think about the Ja Morant-Russell Westbrook debate? Um, Right, I... You guys, I think, have it the right way, the right order where Ja being the younger version of Westbrook kind of yeah. makes sense to me. They both can get you the triple double any given night. They're going to give you 150% energy, 110% effort, whatever the song goes. <laughs> but at the end of the day, Westbrook's on, you know, he's in the later part of his career where Ja is just going to keep getting better. Agreed. All right. On to the next five. Kyle Lowry at number 25, Carl Anthony Towns at number 24, Zion Williamson, number 23, Bam Adebayo, number 22, Chris Middleton, number 21. Eric, why don't you go first on this one? All right, we got a little problem here. Let's hear it. In my opinion, Zion Williamson's got to be in the top 15. Ooh, uh, wow. I know. He's young, he's raw, he's unpolished. He might want to need to work on his diet and conditioning. It's there. Like, the talent level is real. He's lived up to the hype so far. And it's like we were just saying with Zach Levine, he's been on a bad team. They've just been so irrelevant. I listen, I mean, I, I agreed with everything you guys said last week, or last episode, I should say, where the Pelicans did not do anything to get better. Right. But, I mean, I would have Zion over Bam. I'm. I don't. I thought we would have a camera on at some point, but I have a Bam Adebayo jersey behind me, and I'm hey. saying Zion above Bam. Wow. Uh, you know that's not a hot take at all. Zion is one of the most efficient scorers we've seen in the game ever. Um, I want you to hold on to that, and when we hit the spot that you think he should be, I want you to let us know in a little bit. Um, all right. I'll, I'll hit my Zion button. <laughs> perfect. All right, um, Andy, how do you feel about Bam, Zion, Cat, those three? This is, this is difficult. This is the nitty-gritty stuff. Yeah, um, We've talked about it many times, the Bam-Cat debate, and while it seems like most of NBA Twitter would take Cat, I just I can't justify it. Puts up great numbers, but Bam, I've, I've seen, even as a Heat fan, but even just watching him uh, objectively, he... He just attributes so much to winning. He's such the rebounding, the the hustle plays, the the playmaking is ridiculous, and the scoring is is actually better than a lot of people think. He just needs to kind of grow a pair, and step into the spotlight. <laughs> he has the tools. He can shoot. He just yep. nobody's seen it. And he's I a top three defender. Cat. He's a top three. He, he defender is a top three defender. I mean, I I would argue he's the best defender, and I think he could do the most of any player. I think he's the best combination of everything on defense um, right but zion's really tough 
Zion, without a doubt, is more talented than both yes. Bam and Cat. And that's saying a lot. Both yes. Bam and Cat are really talented. And next year will probably show Zion taking another step. So I think I'd probably bump Zion up a, up a spot. I think he's also probably better than Middleton, but recency bias has Middleton contributing to a championship. Yep. So I'd probably bump him up a spot and leave him there for now. But he is, in the next two or three years, he's going to be a top 10 player. Of That's course. That's without a doubt. Yes. So I'd bump him up a spot. The, the other thing I wanted to talk about was Kyle Lowry. Okay, good. I, I wanted to get to that next. There's some there's some recency bias with Drew Holiday, kind of that we talked about. Um, and with that bias, I, I think I'd have to have Drew above Lowry, and that also means Zach Levine above both of them. So I'd drop Kyle Lowry down two spots, leave him above Jaw for now, but but drop him down two. Okay, Eric, what do you think about specifically Lowry versus Drew? Uh, I think recency bias wins this one. I, I would go Drew. I think uh, Lowry. While he's a, a very good defender, I think Drew's just a great defender, and I think Agreed. that gives him a slight edge. On their both of them recent champions, obviously, I think you saw Drew really step up as like a, a key defensive part of the Bucks championship run, where I'm not saying Lowry didn't play great defense for the Raptors. They also had Kawhi Leonard and Pascal Siakam and Marcus Gasol, so he could kind of, you know, he didn't get as badly exposed by Steph Curry and by Clay got hurt by, you know what I mean? So yep. I would say Drew just having that extra defensive presence. Right. So that's very fair. I think when we're looking at this debate specifically, this is really interesting now because this is, we have, or I have Bam and Middleton right next to each other. And I have um, Drew and Lowry right next to each other. So when we're looking at this upcoming Heat Bucks series, unless the NBA voids this Kyle Lowry sign and trade, <laughs> um, these matchups are imperative to either side, you know, taking this next series, assuming they play each other. The Kyle Lowry thing beat out the Drew Holiday thing for me because we saw Drew go through really long stretches of not being able to do anything on offense in this playoff run. Drew is unquestionably the better defender between these two. He might be the best perimeter defender in the league. I think the Lowry thing has more to do with his ability to truly go or guide everybody to the correct spots, get them the ball where they want it, bring them into, you know, the right angles to attack the basket. He is an ultimate floor general and Drew is not a true point guard in that same fashion. The other thing is the pull-up threat. Lowry can, you know, shoot deep threes. He can take threes off the dribble going around picks. He has a nice mid-range game, some fadeaways, turnarounds, all of the above. And Drew, again, we just saw him go through these like four for 19 stretches on offense in important games where he did it so much that I think he's going into the next season a little overrated on the offensive end. It's fair. Can't disagree with that too much. No, I definitely agree with that. I'm just excited to see Kyle Lowry running an Eric Spolstra offense. Yeah, that'll be a sight to behold for sure. Okay, now we're getting into the top 20. And this is where people start feeling very strongly about their opinion. So this, this should be interesting. Number 20, Bradley Beal. Number 19, Chris Paul. Number 18, Kyrie Irving. Number 17, Trey Young. Number 16, Paul George. 
Eric, why don't you take this first? Okay, so we've been talking a little bit about recency bias. It happens to all of us. I get it, man. I get it, Landon. Uh, no way should Trey Young be ahead of Kyrie, CP3, or Bradley Beal. That's fair. Yeah. Uh, I think, I mean, again, I'm a Knicks fan. I watched him tear us apart, and Trey is incredible. Uh, just Kyrie, Chris Paul, and Bradley Beal are just such elite offensive veterans that like when they're on the floor you saw what chris paul took the suns team to Kyrie, if he well Kyrie's if he's in the right place at the right time can make that nets team a champion and bradley beal is an interesting one because i think if he gets traded he could definitely take a jump on the right team right also uh, for now i would just move trey maybe maybe down of, of a few spots that's reasonable and andy I agree with the Trey take to an extent. I think that Kyrie Irving is a better basketball player, and I think I would rather have Chris Paul on my team. But I think I stop at Bradley Beal. Beal's a better scorer, just straight scorer. But the playmaking by Trey just puts him over the edge. I don't think Beal's that good of a playmaker, as great of a scorer as he is. He doesn't have to be a good playmaker. He's he's a two-guard. He's a true two. He doesn't play point guard very much. But I would rather have the on-ball threat of Trey Young, who can also make that awesome lob because of his his floater threat. And I think I'd probably bump him down two spots. That's also me projecting a little bit of an NBA rule change that doesn't give him all these fouls that he got. That's because, a game. Yes, because, that's a game changer. Because if agree. he does, he's a top 15 player. With, with what he did in the playoffs and the draws and the fouls that he can draw against the Sixers, against the Knicks, it's just not fair to have like a, the tiny Trey Young body and just flop around. They're going to call everything like they did. Not, not to get too sidetracked, but what is your take on that? Do you think they will get rid of that rule? Or do you think they will, I should say, make alterations to that foul call? I don't think we're going to see too much of a change next year. I think it's going to be a really slow progression. And I I, I don't think we're ever going to get back to the early 2000s or the night. Like, that's never going to happen. There, it's The NBA is emphasizing too much protecting stars and keeping them healthy. Um, and that's just I, worked great. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. We've seen so many injuries the last two years. Yeah. Uh, I, I wanted to get back to the early 2000s. Like, I think that was a really good time in terms of physicality. It was a good balance between not full-out fighting, but also not flopping everywhere. And I think it's going to be a very slow, slow movement over the next five years because refs are going to have to remember it, and these NBA players are going to be in their faces, these stars, fans yelling. It's going to be tough. Um, I think we'll see very minuscule changes. So getting back to this, Trey Young, the reason I have him here is what he did as a number one option this season surpasses anything Kyrie or Chris Paul or Bradley Beal has done as a number one option in their whole careers. Was it a weird year? Yes, it was. So I understand that people might not, you know, think that this run was as valuable as, as it would have been in a regular year. But Kyrie really tried to be the number one on the Boston Celtics. He won a game. Paul Pierce declared that he, they would sweep the Milwaukee Bucks. And then the Milwaukee Bucks came back and won four in a row with Kyrie bricking like more than we've seen him in his career. He couldn't handle the pressure and had to go join another big three. And I love Kyrie Irving. I wear his shoes when I play basketball. I'm a huge Kyrie fan. But great shoes. 
<laughs> right? But I trust Trey as a number one option already more than I would Kyrie. And for that, I think that's a separator because he's a better leader for me. He's a better number one option. The Chris Paul thing, it's really hard to evaluate Chris Paul versus Devin Booker and the impact each had because everybody wants to attribute everything to Chris Paul, but the coaching, the Suns players that were there through that bubble run when they went 8-0 and shocked the world, and you know DeAndre Ayton's improvement. There was a lot going on in that team, a lot. And while Chris Paul was phenomenal, I don't know if everything he did should be put on a pedestal above what Trey Young did, which was take down a juggernaut or what a lot of people perceive to be a juggernaut 76ers team. Yeah, that's a fair, great point. I think, yep. Yeah, I'm thinking, I I think if you swap, this is the fairest way for me to try to compare in my mind. If you swapped out Trey Young for Kyrie and Chris Paul, do I think the Hawks are better? Do I think they get farther? I think the answer with Chris Paul is yes. I like the veteran leadership. I think the playmaking is as good, if not better. It, it is better, not even as good. So I would take Chris Paul at least for one year. Next year may be different, which is fair for you to have Trey Young above both right. of them. Kyrie's the tougher debate because he doesn't fit the Hawks as well. Because, of course, Trey Young is their primary playmaker. But I just think if you surround Kyrie with that much talent, he may be more successful. It's close, okay. though. It's close. All right. 15 through 11, Jason Tatum at 15, Devin Booker at 14, Donovan Mitchell at 13, Damian Lillard at 12, Jimmy Butler at 11. Let's hear it. This is the Zion sound. I would put Zion (laughs) somewhere in this group. Okay. Specifically where? Mm, I would say, honestly, I'd say right at 15. Uh, maybe move, uh, maybe shuffle them around a bit. Maybe move Booker down a little and put Zion at fifteen and Tatum at fourteen. And that's okay. not against Booker in any way. I think it goes back to what we were just talking about, what you guys were just saying. But it's hard to tell how much Booker was benefiting off of Chris Paul and vice versa. Where with Zion, we know it's it's Zion just bullying people in the post. Otherwise, this section I I like very much. Okay. Cool. Andy? Yeah, this is, you know, I've been, we've both been struggling with the, the Mitchell, Booker, Tatum, even though yep. Trey Young, and sometimes it's, it's a tough argument. And I feel like I keep flipping back and forth. I don't know. But the Olympics, again, looking at recency bias, I thought Tatum looked really good in the last game. And I, I think that if all of these players are playing at their peak consistently, I would take Tatum. Um, really? I don't know if that puts him above the rest for me, just because he, I haven't seen that lately. Really, the that second half of the year when I just remember the signature Tatum moment hitting shots over Anthony Davis. I think it was like two years ago, even. I, I just that's just peak Tatum for me. I haven't really seen it that much lately. It's tough. I'm not going to go into detail on those three right now. Sure, but they're they're in the right range. And then I like having Butler over Dame for many reasons. I think he's a better overall player. Dame's more clutch. He's a better scorer. But everything else goes to Jimmy Butler. He led a team to the finals. He almost won that NBA finals. If it wasn't for injuries, who knows? So I, I think it's fair to put him at 11. I may even bump him up one more spot to 10. I like this five. Okay. And a few things here. I think Donovan Mitchell, playoff Donovan Mitchell specifically, is 
one of the more underrated versions of a player because he scores like LeBron and Luka and Kawhi and Durant in the playoffs every year. It's absolutely astounding. He should not be able to do what he does, but he's one of the best playoff guards that's in the league. His production makes it so that Rudy Gobert's sorry ass gets carried to a solid seed every year, gets carried through playoff series, and I just could not be more impressed with him. If you ask me to pick one of Mitchell or Dame for a playoff series, I'll pick Dame to hit the last shot in Game 7. Throughout the series, I might pick Donovan Mitchell for production. He is just phenomenal. So that's why I have him above Booker and Tatum. That's fair. I mean, it's a tough argument. It is. Mitchell does remind me a lot of Dame in terms of his offensive success, kind of orchestrating his offense and just being the guy down the stretch to hit every shot. Right. It's There are a lot of similarities. That is a fair point. And then the last thing in this group I want to touch on, let's hear the Tatum versus Paul George take for my 15 and 16 slots. I like it. George. I like it a lot. I think they're both very similar players. Um I would choose Tatum based on age, George if we're looking for right now. I think Paul okay. George has has that gear that he showed a little bit last year against the Jazz where if you were coming into this season with a, a championship or bust mindset, which I think the Clippers should have, um I would take Paul George but if we're building a franchise out over the next however many years, Tatum's just young enough that I think he has it, that extra step where he could jump into a top 10. I just trust Tatum a little bit more than Paul George at this point. And Eric, that's a great point. Paul George was awesome without Kawhi Leonard. I just don't trust him to be awesome with Kawhi Leonard. <laughs> Maybe that sounds dumb. You know, there's less attention on Paul George when Kawhi's in. But it just seems like when the pressure's high, he has not been able to perform as well as he should have, as he should. And Tatum, even though I've talked about how I, I haven't loved his progression the last year, I still think he's a slightly better player who I can rely on just a little bit more. Okay. On to the next five. Number 10, Anthony Davis. Number nine, Joel Embiid. Number eight, James Harden. Number seven, Nikola Jokic. Number six, Steph Curry. Eric, go ahead. Then I can then I can rant. All right, we're entering the MVPs of the yes, the superstars. Um, I like having Steph at sixth because I think when he when he's on like that tear he was on last year, he can definitely be in the conversation for best player. But when he's just you know regular stuff he's still phenomenal he's lost a step on defense i like the rest of the list because Jokic, harden Embiid, and ad all of them you can kind of slide them based on how they're playing at the moment if any of them are healthy they have fully you know in the mvp conversation harden might be out for a while anthony davis's injury just kept getting worse and Embiid played on his injury and was phenomenal in the playoffs he averaged 30 and 12 on a slightly torn meniscus yeah for 300 pounds to have a slightly torn meniscus sounds wildly dangerous (laughs) and then Jokic was the mvp himself last year and 
I don't know. I th- seven just feels right. So good job here. Appreciate it. All right, Andy, let's hear the Steph rant. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll touch on Steph after because I'll talk about six or seven through ten first. But okay. you look at Jokic, you look at Harden, and you look at Be- Embiid. And I would say what all three of these guys have in common is that they've all been successful number one options. Doesn't mean they've won a title, but they've either gotten close or they've been good enough where their surrounding cast has not supported them well enough. Right. And I just, I don't think Anthony Davis is that is in that same class of having proven that he's a number one option, even on when he was on the Pelicans. I just, I didn't see it. And individual talent wise, he is 100% better than Jimmy Butler, but I've seen Jimmy Butler as a number one option two years ago in the finals, having statistically the greatest finals run of all time, which a lot of people still don't know. And I would flip Butler and Davis for that reason. That I trust Butler to lead my team more, and I'd rather have him on my team as just a combo guard slash forward that can kind of do everything. And I know Anthony Davis is very dominant, and I could be sorely mistaken next year if he comes back and he balls out. But for now, I'd flip them and put Butler at 10, 80 right outside my top 10 at 11. What? Did you just say Butler had the statistically best finals of all time? I'm pretty sure that, yeah. No, 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 no. He had a really good finals, but like Giannis just just outclassed him in terms of finals. I'm going to look it up. I'm going to look it up. And on the next pod, I'm going to come back. I'm pretty sure at the time. I'm assuming you're going to exclude like Bill Russell and Wilt Chamberlain. But but LeBron. I mean, in their finals, they were averaging like 35 and 25. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And LeBron in multiple finals has done better than that. Jimmy, I mean, that was a great finals appearance. It was an all-time finals appearance, but there have been better ones by better players. Even look at on the same team decade ago, sure. Dwayne Wade in 2006. Like, they're just, they're just better performances. But his was amazing. Pretty sure it was either – maybe it was a game score and I'm mixing it up. Yes, Something it was, was the 40-point triple-double. That, that may be what, what you're thinking about. All right, well, regardless, statistically, one of the most impressive finals I've watched. Yes. I'll revise it. Okay. It's up there, though. I'm going to look that up still and report yeah, that. He was incredible. Five. I think Jimmy Butler is a phenomenal player. Um, Agreed. And, and you know, Yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, go into the Anthony Davis thing. I, I like him at 10 because I do think his health is starting to become an issue. We've seen this. like He hasn't played a full he hasn't played a full season in his career. Like The closest he's <laughs> came was 75 of two years with the Pelicans, but he plays about 60 games out of the 80. Uh, but he definitely can be a number one option. I mean, he was averaging 28 points, 12 boards a game, and he gives you defense. So, I don't know. I think 10 is a good spot for him. Yeah, the Davis, I had Butler at 10 before we started this, and then I flipped it at the end because I, I thought about Butler. He had a, Butler had an amazing regular season this year, but in the playoffs, he got outscored by Bryn Forbes, and that can't go unmentioned because while the team around him did not perform nearly as well as it did last year, Butler didn't either. And compared to Anthony Davis, a guy who actually won the championship, albeit as a number two option, um, it's tough to to put one above the other, but I think I'm giving it to Davis by, you know, putting together Butler's finals run and his really underwhelming performance this year. And now time for me to move on to Steph Curry. Oh God! I I think it's crazy that you have him outside the top five. Yeah, I just I'm do. sure. <laughs> I just do. It's Steph Curry is not a good defender at all. He's not. But the way that he 
the pressure he puts on a defense is just ridiculous. He is the off ball, the most impressive offensive player of all time. You have guys chasing him around, defenses schemed just around him. Right. And he's the only reason the Warriors were relevant at all last year, multi time MVP. And last year, he was playing as well as he ever has before. He was peak Steph Curry, putting up 40 a night, hitting clutch shots left and right. Steph is unbelievable. He is. And he is. I. At six? No. Just no. He did he, have a pretty great playoffs run this year. Look, Steph Curry, when Clay Thompson comes back, <laughs> was, the Warriors. Look, I'm saying it now. The Warriors are finals bound. They're going to the finals next year. Wow, I'm saying a, it. I'm calling it now. Take. I like it. I'm calling it now. I've been saying it. If Clay Thompson comes back and looks at all like Clay Thompson, they're making the finals. Right now, I think Steph is better than LeBron. I think he's better than Kawhi. I think he's better than Luka. He's better than Jokic. The way he plays. He is better than Jokic. The. the the defense that he commands the attention, it doesn't matter that his defense is not that great. What matters is that the whole Warrior system can function just because Steph Curry is on the court. Okay, I agree with, with the principle, but what happens here is that I start comparing him to the next five, which I'll read momentarily. And when I told you, the separator for me when we get into these close discussions, who would I rather have going into a playoff series next season? And the answer isn't Steph for the next five guys. I'll explain why in a second. I'll do the next five. At number five, Kawhi Leonard. At number four, LeBron James. At number three, Luka Doncic. At number two, Giannis Antetokounmpo. At number one, Kevin Durant. I would choose every single one of those guys, assuming Kawhi is healthy, first of all, to pick in a playoff series as my best player before I would pick Steph Curry. And I don't even think that's hot of a take. Like, I think that's a pretty normal thing to want a two-way wing who can body people, who can shoot from the outside, except in the case of Giannis, and who can just dominate the game on a physical level in addition to a skill level. But let's hear it. So skill-wise, Kawhi Leonard, LeBron, Luka, are better players than Steph Curry. I think they have more skills that they do at an elite level. But Steph Curry's one skill, which of course is the greatest skill of all time, the most totally. impressive peak of any skill ever, yep. is shooting just simply pushes him above the rest of these guys. Steph, to me, is still looks like he's in his prime, like you just said. And the level of attention he brings, I would take him in a playoff series over Kawhi, over LeBron, over Luka, and just in terms of the overall impact he has on a team and on a playoff series, he can completely take over a series like we saw him in the finals, in the 2015 finals. We've seen him years after. I know Kevin Durant obviously makes things complicated because their team was so good. But just anytime Steph is in the game, he seems to captivate all 10 players, draw all the attention towards him, and he just takes over games. And that, to me, is so significant of a skill that I've just watched last year peak Steph perform at. And I think next year is going to be the same that I would take him over a lot of these guys that you just had in the top five. Oh, all right, Eric. Well, with Steph, what he's done to the offensive game, like you're saying is just revolutionary where you have to legitimately guard him 35 feet away from the basket 
because that's a shot he can make on a regular basis. And it, it's like, it's just absurd how at one point the three point shot didn't even exist. Like that was too outrageous to exist. And then they worked it in. And now people are thinking maybe there should be a four point line for stuff. That's right. just, that's just his impact. So I would probably swap him and Luca. I, I love Luca. I, I think Luca has probably MVP potential next season. But when you look at these other good players, Durant, Giannis, LeBron, Kawhi, they've all been finals MVPs. And that's what it, to me, separates Luka from this group, is that Luka hasn't had that playoff moment. I mean, yes, he he's hit this buzzer beater, and he's been phenomenal, but he hasn't had... Yeah, I was had... just going to bring that up. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, no, in terms of his clutch moment, yes, but he hasn't had that championship run. Like, Giannis wasn't just the block on eight, and it wasn't just the clutch moments of, of hitting free throws like crazy in that closeout game. You know, Durant has won multiple championships. LeBron's done it with... LeBron and Kawhi have both done it with multiple organizations. So for Luka, I just need to see that one, like, either championship or finals run to have him in that top, top group. So I'm going to throw this out here just for fun. Give Luka, Steph, Clay, and Draymond... Give Luca Middleton Drew. Give Luca Kyrie Dwayne Wade Chris Bosh Kevin Love, and give Luca Kyle Lowry Pascal Siakam Mark Gasol Serge Ibaka etc. I think Luca wins a championship in every single one of those scenarios. It's possible. Wow, uh, yeah. It's a lot of guessing, though. I mean, compare that to Tim Hardaway Jr. and Chris Stapps Porzingis. And, oh, and he's still and he's still going off and almost winning those series with those two players being embarrassed. Well, Hardaway Jr. is good, but he's a role player. And Chris Stapps is good, but he's a role player at this point in his career. He's the only star on his team. Look, there's there's no doubting that the Mavericks are by far the worst team of any of the ones you just named. I mean, <laughs> right. that's obvious. Right. Uh, but there's just a difference from saying, I know this player can do it, and this player actually did it. Just like Giannis. A lot of people were arguing, Giannis, he's not a choker. He just hasn't been there. He hasn't had the right team. And it's one thing to say it, and it's another thing for him to go out and do it like he just did. And right, Lennon, but I mean, you you had Giannis outside your top five last year correct. at one point. Correct. And now he's number two for you. Right, because he, he drastically it. improved, and he added Drew Holiday and P.J. Tucker he did to it. his team. So no I, no, I know, I know, but this is different because in one case it was like, oh, Giannis can't do it, and then he did it. In this case, it's like Luca's going to do it, and he's going to do it. But then rank him there when he does it. Well, no, because he's this good. <laughs> but I, I don't think he's better than a few of the players you have above him. And that's the above, debate. Oh, below him? Below mm-hmm. him. Excuse okay. Me. Yeah, I, put I just... Put that out there for the, uh, for the fans to vote on. Because, I, I mean... I don't think you're wrong. I think Luca has top three talent. It's just to look at Luca and then look at LeBron. I don't know if I'm ready to say that Luca's better than LeBron. I don't know if I'm ready to say like a fully healthy Kawhi Leonard isn't better than Luca. Like if you put a fully healthy Kawhi Leonard on that Mavericks team that you're talking about, would they go further? I mean, like, if you put Luka on that Clippers team with Paul George, though, like, let's just say you swap Luka and Kawhi. This is never a good way to settle these discussions, but for fun, I we can just talk about it. Let's put Luka on that team with Kawhi, with Paul George and Reggie Jackson and Marcus Morris and everybody. 
Luca would create far better shots and more efficient shots for that team than Kawhi would. That's his specialty. You put Kawhi on the Mavericks, and he's a much he's not nearly as good of a floor raiser as Luka Doncic, in my opinion. I think the Luka Clippers smoke the Kawhi Mavs. Smoke That's fair. Them. Smoke them. Wow. I, I don't think the Mavericks would be very good with Kawhi, just for the reason you said, who's their playmaker. So, okay. And I'm a huge Kawhi fan, like a huge Kawhi fan. I just think Luka, last year, I mean, he almost took down a fully healthy Clippers team literally by himself. He's so just, the, the, he's just here, amazing. Here's an argument I'll throw out. Luka can do it all, but the problem is if you put him on a team with really good players, can he take that step back and become more efficient and not, the, and not turn the ball over? Because right now in the Mavericks, he's doing everything. He's dominating the ball every play. But you put him on a team with two other stars, and he, he cannot do that. The team would not run well. The team would implode from the inside. So, yes, Luka, Luka's in that stage of his career where he was like LeBron on the bad caps. He's doing everything. Yep. And, was, or is. and he's as talented as any of these guys on the top of the list. But just to swap him on a team and say, would they win? I don't know. Like, it sounds good in my mind, but I have to see Luca become a more efficient player and not, the, and not turn the ball over as much and not have the ball in his hands as much in order to, to officially say that. So let's, this is a fun conversation. If you guys want to stop at any point, that's fine. But let's go back to two, I don't know, 2006, 2007. LeBron was the best player in the world. He hadn't won a championship yet, but he was better than Kobe Bryant. He was better than Dwayne Wade, and everybody knew it because it's freaking LeBron James. I think we are experiencing that right now. I don't think people have realized it yet. I think I'm ahead of the curve on this one, but I think Luka Doncic is following the trajectory of LeBron James. His team isn't that good. He does everything for the team, and eventually he's going to link up with some stars and win some championships, and I think that is literally inevitable. He will win multiple championships in his career because he's so much better than everybody else at basketball. So my, my last, my final comment on this, I don't think you're ahead of the curve. I think you are anticipating where he's going to be soon, and I don't think he's there yet. That's called being ahead of the curve. Well, but you're like not ahead that. of the curve. I no, like that you're calling your shot of calling him, like going down LeBron's career path, because that's great for you, Andy. That means he's taking his talents to South Beach. <laughs> And by the way, that's not being ahead of the curve. That's making a projection. Being ahead of the curve means you see something other, other people don't. As yes, in saying, Luca right do. now is better than everybody. No, I, I'm saying I he's not. It. I promise you I see it. I'm saying he's not would better you, than so everybody, then, but he will would be. Would you soon. say Luca's going to be number one next year? I think it's very possible. I think it's very possible. Well, your answer has to be yes in order for you to be ahead of the curve. That's not true. I'm saying that I'm, I'm projecting. <laughs> me being ahead of the curve is saying he is top three. That's my point. He is top three right, right now. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, by the way, does anybody have a problem with Durant at one? I think it's pretty easy to say he's the best player in the world right now. I could make an argument for Giannis, but after watching the gold medal just run, then yeah, it's Durant. Okay. But I, I think it would be great to see Giannis and Durant just have another like gold medal game, the two of them one-on-one. <laughs> it would be. I, I'd say I'd want the Nets-Bucks rematch, but that would mean that the Heat aren't in the East Finals, so I can't say that. But if Unless it is that Bucks happens Nets, in, the, in the second round. Yes, that, that'd be cool. <laughs> but that, that would be cool to officially establish Durant versus Giannis if they did play again. 
right now, just based on the offensive success and carrying the Nets without Kyrie and like Scarecrow James Harden, yeah. I mean, it, it to me it was obvious that Durant's the best in the world. Agreed. All right. So to recap, number one, Kevin Durant. Number fifty, Colin Sexton. That is all. <laughs> but of course, guys, thanks for listening. Eric, glad you finally hopped on a podcast. Looking forward to, to many more in the future. As always, everybody listening, make sure to check us out on, on Twitter and on Instagram at the Towel Boys. Go to our website, towelboys.com. Check out all the content we have there. We are starting up a blog very shortly. I'm looking forward to that. But yeah, thank you guys for listening as always. Peace. Always remember to embrace your inner Towel Boy.